Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster for episode 253 of this show. On today's episode, we're going to get you caught up on uh, how the Sox have been doing. Uh, Spoiler alert, not good. Um, We'll get you caught up on some injuries, some news and notes, and then we're going to uh, play a little game of who can we blame. This is sort of a, uh, a sub-genre of the blame pie that we did the a few episodes ago, if you remember, but we're going to get into that a little bit more in depth, and then we're going to get to some listener questions. But first, Keaton, how are you faring this evening? Great. Would be a little bit better if uh, my Chipotle order was correct, but uh, even though it's not 100% correct, it's still Chipotle, so it's still pretty good. Well, I was happy to learn that uh, cats eat uh, queso uh, oh, yeah. before we got on this show. Apparently, Keaton's cat eats all of his human food, so I found that pretty funny. Yeah. She finally is taking a rest, but I was fighting with her for like a half an hour over my queso, so she's <laughs> finally napping. Just, you know, let her gorge on it for a while, and she'll just be drunk on queso in the corner of the room. It'll be very adorable. I let her lick the, the cap, the little, like the little top of the Tupperware, you know? Oh, yeah. Bit. Once she got a little taste, she, she came back for more. That didn't work. <laughs> I thought that would satisfy her. It didn't work. Yeah, just, just wet the whistle. Yep. 
All right. Well, we're not we're not here to talk about the diet of Keaton's cat, uh, <laughs> which which seems to be quite good anyhow. Um, but we are here to talk about the Red Sox, and I want to get into some numbers about this team. So, since we last spoke, Keaton, the Red Sox dropped four out of their last five games. Uh, as we record right now, they're playing their second game in the Atlanta series and currently behind a three to one as we're recording this currently. Um, the disappointing thing about them dropping, uh, you know, three, or I guess I should say four out of their last five games was that, you know, three of those losses came against the Kansas City Royals, which was just uh, pretty shocking. And I listened to your precap episode with, with Bailey, and you guys were were pretty shocked about that too. But, um, you know, one of the things that was most alarming to me about that is that, you know, I was going through the numbers today before I got on the podcast, and the Red Sox have the fourth worst uh, run differential in the American League right now. The only teams with a worse run differential than them were the Kansas City Royals, the Detroit Tigers, and the Oakland A's, three of the bottom of the bottom feeder teams uh, in the league. And uh, the fact that we, we dropped three out of four to Kansas City just like really sort of twists the knife after an incredibly awkward trade deadline. So how did you kind of take that series? That one was not great. Not only that, after an awkward trade deadline, but after taking two out of three from Houston, who yeah. is a very good baseball team. Right. I don't know how you follow that up with a dud against Kansas City. That just made it even worse. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it was like, because the Houston series was taking place during the trade deadline so like maybe there was some weird amount of hope injected into the team um and you know playing kc right after the fallout from the trade deadline it seemed like sort of all the air was sucked out of uh the red sox clubhouse with with the departure of christian arroyo and sort of the the awkwardness of two guys in tommy Pham and eric cosmer joining the club who probably you know, should have been on this club at the beginning of the year instead of August 2nd. Yeah. The whole thing was weird. But anyhow, the Red Sox are currently 17 games behind the Yankees. Their last place in the division. Um, a little bit of numbers behind this right now. 22nd in starters ERA at 4.41. 25th in bullpen ERA at 4.41. Or if They're nothing if not consistent, Keaton. Uh, <laughs> I found that stat to be kind of uh, hilarious. Same exact bullpen and starters ERA. Um, 14th in WRC Plus at 101. 10th in runs scored at 500. 17th in home runs at 110. And 19th in team defense, the thing that you were so proud of the first couple of months of this season, Keaton. They've dropped yeah. all the way to the bottom two-thirds of the league. Um, so just looking at these numbers... Which one of these surprises you the most after, you know, a long season of analyzing the Red Sox play? Like, which of these sort of stands out to you as most shocking? I don't think any of them. Interesting. I thought for sure you were going to say the fact that they're only 10th uh, in runs scored at 500. Well, that was the closest. Um, but if you, I mean, you take in the context of like all of the injuries that they've had and the guys that have been missing from the lineup, like they 
were missing Devers for a chunk. They were missing Martinez for a chunk. They've been missing um, Story for a while. Yeah. Um, who was leading the team in RBIs? Who was who was driving in a bunch of runs? Um, who had was only trailing Devers at the time in homers. Might actually still be second on the team in homers. <laughs> um, at the time he went out, so they're they're they've been missing a ton. Obviously, um, Kike Hernandez has been uh, out for a like massive portion of the season. Um, Verdugo started off incredibly hot. Um, and then was super cold and then has kind of picked it back up again, but he's been, you know, up and down. So I think like in context, 10th makes sense. Um, you know, upper half, but, um, lower upper half, it's kind of fitting. Um, and then again, the rest in context, like the starters ERA, uh, they've been really bad. So that doesn't surprise me. Same with the bullpen. The bullpen has also been really bad. So that doesn't surprise me. Team defense, when you've, <laughs> when you're consistently rolling out, both um Dahlbach and well yeah Duran Dahlbach and um Cordero that's the one Franchi yep. <laughs> um all in the same lineup at the same time because of injuries you have nobody else you have to play them uh your defense is going to be really bad so i'm not surprised that the defense turned out to be really bad so <laughs> i yeah none i mean none of them surprise me um, they've, they've been really bad lately and all of these numbers, uh, you know, I don't think it's a surprise as to why. Yeah. And, you know, getting to, um, JD Martinez, who you mentioned with the offense too, this is a guy who we haven't kind of given enough scrutiny to, uh, lately, but, you know, if you take away the month of May where he hit 406, like Ted Williams, um, he's been really bad, uh, since June. In June, he batted 232 with just three home runs. Uh, July, 185 with just one home run. Uh, and in August so far, he's even worse. Uh, I'm sorry, 210 in uh, July. August, 185 with zero home runs so far. So, uh, Jay Martinez has been doing nothing. Uh, in, in the second half, he's got a 143 uh, average with no home runs. He's just, he's a complete zero at the plate. So, I think that's one of the moves that as we get further away from this deadline and as this team continues to slip, I'm like, okay, so the Mets were interested in JD and you just kept asking for this reportedly ridiculous package of like, you know, a top prospect, a position player and like someone else. And I'm thinking to myself as we get further and further away from this, he's been horrible for the majority of the season. And we didn't dump his money so we could get under the the CBT. Like, that's going to look really bad at the end of the year. Because I don't think you, I don't even think at this point, you can realistically say the Red Sox will give him the qualifying offer. I don't think they want him to stay for that money. Probably not. But how bad are they going to want a draft pick? I, I don't think that bad. Right, because the the issue with the CBT is that the pick that you're going to get is a fourth rounder at this point. It's not even the second round compensation pick that you would have gotten if you got under the CBT. Because you're definitely going to put a qualifying offer on uh, Nathan Eovaldi, like no question. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, since since Vasquez is gone, you know, you're not going to put one on him, and you probably weren't. So that was part of the calculus. But like, I'm not comfortable paying. 18 million or whatever it's going to be um to yeah. to JD Martinez going into I mean what will that be his age 30 for 5 35 season next year and he's been declining each of the last 3 seasons no no way for me yeah but anyhow um a couple injuries on the team as well that I want to get to uh Chris Sale um jeez it just it never stops coming with Chris Sale. Chris Sale falls off his bike allegedly and breaks his wrist. Um, has surgery on his wrist. He's not going to return this year. Did you see the quote from Heim Bloom about we need to find out whoever has the voodoo doll of Chris Sale? I didn't, but um, I agree <laughs> completely. This is just insane. What was your reaction to that when you found out that Chris Sale fell off a bike and broke his wrist? Um, just kind of like, are you serious? <laughs> is this is a real thing? Is this again? I actually, uh, I sent, I sent out a tweet from the OTM account that I was like, the only logical thing that I can think of is that Chris Sale sold his soul for the 2018 season to the baseball gods. And it only came with the condition that his bones be replaced with pretzels. I did see that tweet. I liked it quite a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just one thing after another with Chris Sale. It's the Tommy John, which, you know, at least you can expect it's a pitcher's injury. Then the uh, the broken rib and the neck issue. And then the finger, the comebacker, and now breaking the wrist. It's just, it's insane um, how badly this deal has worked out for the Red Sox. And it's really unfortunate because... You know, we all know what caliber of, of a pitcher Chris Sale is, but at this point, it's just like, okay, if if he gives you anything over the last two years of this contract, that's a bonus at this point. So not worth rehashing that one. Um, we already have talked at length about how we feel about the Chris Sale contract and when it was signed at the time, but um, just ridiculous. I mean, I, I can't even be mad at him for, for riding a bike like Normal people ride bikes, so uh, at this point, <laughs> I just I don't know. Just wanted some lunch. Just wanted after some a lunch. rehab session. Like, yeah, I mean, nuts. Yeah. When's the last time you rode a bike, Keaton? Um. Wow. Uh, when was the last time I rode a bike? Oh, um, last August in Bar Harbor. Did you fall? I did not. Well, you're better than Chris Sale. I mean, I won't say I've never fallen. Just the <laughs> last time I didn't. <laughs> well, you're still doing better than Chris Sale. Then. <laughs> um, all right. Next bit of news here on the injury front. Eric Hosmer uh, fouled the ball off of his knee. Um, that really seemed to shake him up. Uh, that was... Uh, I guess as you're listening to this two days ago, uh, that he fouled the ball off. Did you see the the pitch that he fouled? I didn't. Uh, it was a Charlie Morton pitch with just a crazy amount of spin on it, and uh, uh, you had a pretty good discussion about this thing about like how pitches with crazy spin bounce in weird directions, and you know he fouled it off his kneecap, and I really thought he was going to stay 
in the game. I was a little surprised that he came out. So I, I hope that this is not something overly serious where Eric Hosmer is going to require an IL stint or anything like that. I hope there's no fracture. It doesn't seem like there is. It seems like that would have been uh, out there by now. But, you know, nonetheless, um, Dahlbeck relieved him in that game, played first base the rest of the night, and now Dahlbeck got the start again uh, tonight. So I don't know how much time Eric Hosmer is going to miss. Are, are you concerned about this knee injury for him? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the, it, we need to get an update first, but if it turns out to be something pretty serious that, um, you know, he ends up missing a lot of time and then we have to go back to the platoon of Dahlbeck and Franchi at first, uh, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's concerning. Yeah. It's been really nice. Um, just watching Eric Cosmer play a uh, competent first base and also, watching his professional at bats and I know that Eric Cosmer has his warts as a player you know he has this absurd ground ball rate he seems allergic to launch angle even though apparently he works out with JD Martinez sometimes in the offseason I don't know how he hasn't picked his brain about how to get the ball in the air but that's a whole nother discussion but the fact that he has been delivering professional at bats and fielding the position has just been a tremendous relief to me uh, what's your been your favorite part of the Eric Cosmer experience so far, if you have one? Well, that's competent feeling at first. Yeah, it's real nice. Real nice. Okay, Keaton, your boy Tanner Houck. Uh, 15-day IL with low back soreness. You concerned about uh, Mr. Houck? Is he getting low back soreness from not pitching? I don't know how this happens. Yeah, this makes me think that this has been bothering him for a while because his usage really since the beginning of July has been so puzzling. And he's gone wild stints where he hasn't been used at all. Um, and then he finally got used in like back-to-back games against the Yankees. And then like that was it. Um, and then it was just continued to have like four to six days off between stints and he's supposed to be your closer. And then we're trying to go to Whitlock for three innings instead of going to him on four or five days rest. I, it couldn't have been something that just popped up. There's no way. And especially with it being retroactive to the sixth, which was the last time he pitched, um, it makes me think that this, this thing has been happening much longer than that. And um, his, I first, I, for me, I first caught on to his puzzling usage in the beginning of July with the Cubs series. Um, so it, that's kind of where I would peg it as having happened. It may have been happening even before then, but I don't think this is something that just popped up. It made, I, this, he has to have been dealing with this for much longer than uh, he has been because really for a while. Uh, his usage has just not made sense at all. And it's really kind of made the rest of the bullpen usage extremely puzzling as well. Um, but it's also been kind of coupled with how they've used Whitlock too. I don't understand this two innings, three days, or just as many days off as innings pitched as he's had and like keeping him semi stretched out is just stupid. So what they've been doing with the bullpen this year has just been idiotic to say the least, just, in totality, 
Uh, and this just kind of was like the cherry on top of it. And like, well, okay, maybe this explains why they haven't really been using Hauk the last month and a half, even though he's supposed to be your closer. Um, but if that was the case, they really should have tried to get this taken care of sooner because they're, they're apparently trying to win baseball games. Uh, okay. And not having your closer available for six to eight days in a row uh, would kind of limit your ability to do that. So as the handling of uh, the just the usage of the players and then how they're actually handling guys when they, you know, they need rest and like actual IL stints has just been puzzling. Just everything about the bullpen this year has been maddeningly infuriating. This is just kind of like, well, add it to the list. Yeah, I I did uh, listen to your discussion with Bailey on the precap about um, Garrett Whitlock's usage, and I, I found your discussion about that kind of interesting. It hasn't been as annoying to me because I've always kind of figured that because they switched Garrett Whitlock from being uh, a true bullpen arm at the beginning of the year to being a starter, and because I think they're hundred percent planning for him to be a starter uh, next year. Since you know, looking at the rotation right now, Nick Pavetta and Cutter Crawford are probably the only two players so you can count on uh, to be in that rotation next year. I, I think they see him out of that role. Chris Sale. Uh, yeah, right. I just <laughs> sure. I'm sure Chris Sale is gonna like go down a water slide the wrong way and like rip his arm off or something. I don't know. I, I'm not even mentioning Chris Sale at this point just because I'm I'm assuming somebody's going to poke the voodoo doll. Um, but yes, Chris Sale. Um, anyhow, it, it seems like that's the way that they want to use him in the future. That being said, it makes the bullpen construction right now uh, maddening because you basically have John Schreiber as the only reliever who you can count on on a night-to-night basis. And then you have like a bunch of guys who are just not good. Austin Davis, Salamora, Barnes, Brazier, Darwin's in Caleb Ort. I mean, out of that group, like, I guess, I don't know. Do I, do I trust Brazier the most at this point? Which is crazy to say I might. <laughs> good um, Lord. Yeah. But that's where we're at. I mean, I, watching Matt Barnes, um, since he's been back, Eck nailed it on the broadcast. He's like, this dude's afraid to throw strikes right now. He doesn't want to throw anything in the zone. He's not confident in his stuff. He pulls all of his breaking balls. His fastball is not good enough to throw in the zone with confidence. I mean, he's a mess. Darwin's it and Caleb Ort should be at AAA. I have no idea why they haven't been churning through uh, Edward Bizzardo and Zach Kelly and Frank German. The, all three of those guys should be up here instead of some of the options that are up here again. I have no idea why they're they're doing what they're doing with this bullpen. And, and I get if you're hamstrung with Garrett Whitlock and you have to use him the way that they're using him. But, like, you got to get some fresh guys up in here. The lack of churn in the bullpen has been maddening to me. Why, the, why does Whitlock's uh, being semi-stretched out, though, matter now? If the plan is to use him as a starter in 2023, why does that matter now i would assume just physically uh i would i would assume that he's not feeling 100 percent physically that would be my guess 
just kind of like how we were talking about how the usage pattern uh, for uh, Tanner Houck probably told us something about when his back pain started. I would guess that Garrett Whitlock probably isn't quite 100% at this point either. Wasn't that all the more reason to use him an inning at a time and not try and get three innings in an outing out of him? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't understand the philosophy of all this stuff uh, that's going on right now, but man, this bullpen is horrible. But do you have any idea why they're not going through and using some of the uh, options at AAA? It seems kind of crazy to me to have you know, three guys who are probably better than three of the guys that you have in the Major League bullpen just sitting at AAA. 40-man stuff? This is the only thing I can think of? Off the top of my head, I don't know if any of them are <laughs> um, or are not. I mean, Bizarro's got to be, right? Uh, Bizarro's not on the 40-man. German's not on the 40-man. And Zach Kelly's not on the 40-man. That's the only thing I can think of. It's just, it, it's so crazy. When you think about that, like if they're really protecting 40-man spots, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to win baseball games? Or are we trying not to win baseball games? Like, if we're trying to win... a great question, Jake. I don't know. (laughs) If we're trying to win baseball games, you don't worry about those 40-man spots. You just churn bad players for those spots. Who cares if you lose Caleb Ort or Darwinson Hernandez at this point? If you listen to the words that they say, you would believe they are trying to win games. And they, I mean, the front office... Yeah. Ownership. Uh, but if you look at the actions that they have made, you would not be able to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Winning clubs typically are not uh, hugging their 40 man spots in lieu of helping their bullpens. That is very strange. All right. Well, uh, on the positive injury front, uh, Kike Hernandez and Tyler Danish have begun their rehab assignments. Tonight, as we are recording this, and Waka uh, pitched last night for Double A Portland, and is nearing a return. So those are two good things. Um, question for you, Keaton: Do you think that once Kike is healthy, Jaron Duran will finally be sent back down? Uh, yes. Me too. Can't wait. Psyched for that day. Marking it. I'm, I'm going to circle it with a nice little happy face in my calendar. So, <laughs> very excited not to see him play defense anymore. Unless they put Kike at second. Oh, God. Kill me. All right. Moving on. JBJ has signed with the Blue Jays. How do you think he looks in Royal Blue? I mean, I'm very happy for the man. I'm really annoyed that we're going to have to see him. And he will inevitably rob a home run from probably Devers, because joy, you know, why not? Um, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I don't really know what he's going to do up there, right? Don't they have a pretty... Solid outfield. 
Yeah, I think this is a classic defensive replacement sort of figuring for. Oh, weird! What a what a run. weird role for him to fill. Yeah, imagine that. It, yeah. Well, it's much more palatable when the Red Sox are paying his salary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> um, I'm happy for the guy. Like, yeah. honestly, I think the Blue Jays are a really good team. I think they could make a lot of noise in the postseason. They were my preseason prediction to uh, go to the World Series. So um, I hope I hope they do because these Red Sox sure aren't doing shit in the playoffs or making it to the playoffs. In Never my opinion. Know. Yeah, I feel like I know at this point, but, you know. Uh, in other news, the Red Sox signed Jerry's Familia who was once good with the Mets and his 6.09 ERA this year. He was just recently released by, I believe, the Phillies. Anything there with Mr. Familia, the big bullpen addition from Heim Bloom? No. Nope. I don't even think he gets out of AAA. All right, Keaton. It's time. It's time for the game. The game of blame. So last time we were on, or no, this was several times ago, several podcasts ago, we decided to break down the blame pie and we tried to figure out, we tried to sift, okay, who should we blame for this debacle? Is it ownership? Is it Bloom? Is it Cora? Is it the players? And uh, one of the things that has been brought to my attention by very many people is that uh, maybe the players are not getting as much blame as they should be because each of those uh, groups of people got 10% or less of the blame when we divvied up our blame pie. So what I wanted to do today with you, Keaton, is to go around and look at the different positions on the diamond and see which ones are sort of playing up to what we should have expected for them and which players we should actually be giving a little bit more scrutiny to. And I wanted to start at the first base position with Bobby Dahlbeck uh, and and Franchi Cordero, who were the two that sort of, well, I guess it was, to be fair to Cordero, he was still at AAA. But the the tandem that we went into the season with, that Heim Bloom decided to start the year with, was Bobby Dahlbeck and Travis Shaw at first base. Is yeah. that Bloom's fault or is that Travis Shaw and Bobby Dahlbeck's fault that they have produced at, I have it in front of me here, the 28th worst rate in the league at that position. Whose fault I'm gonna, is that? I'm going to go uh, 75% Bloom, 25% players. Okay. And I assume that most of that percentage, because Shaw's been gone since like April, is on Bobby Dahlbeck at that point. Yes. See, I I'm gonna go even higher than you. I, I think it's it's ninety percent on Han Bloom because I think it's crazy that we had such a large sample size of Bobby Dahlbeck being like a pretty bad hitter and baseball player. And we had this like month, month and a half long stretch where he was otherworldly last year. And Bloom was like, yeah, you know, we got this. No worries. To Heim Bloom's credit, I do think that he thought if things go south with Dahlbeck, we have 
Tristan Casas waiting in the wings, but that just feels very irresponsible for a team that was two wins away from the World Series last year. Well, that's why I went up to 25%. Because in fairness to Bloom, uh, Bobby Dalbach's second half last year, uh, 270, 344, 611, 149 WRC+. I think we had a large enough sample size to know that he probably wasn't an everyday player, but that's enough of a sample size to think there's a bridge to the future and put your focus on other positions. I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. All right, let's move on to second base. Um, Currently, the Red Sox rank 21st uh, by Fangraph's war at the second base position. Um, They do have 16 home runs and 10 steals at the position this year. Almost all of that production is from Travis, I mean, uh, from Trevor Story, who hasn't played in quite a while because of injury. Um, Was that the right move, to go out and sign Trevor Story to play second base? Do you have any qualms about that? No qualms and no blame. Okay. I kind of agree with you. No blame in either direction. I think the jury is still very much out on whether or not the Trevor Story contract is ultimately a good one because it's a pretty long deal. Uh, And so far, I do think he's underproduced. And I think I'm going to go a little bit higher, I guess, on the blame here. I'm going to I'm going to instead of saying no blame, I think there should be some blame on Trevor Story for not being more prepared to play this year because his slash line is way below uh, what it has been for his career. I think we all expected him to hit for more average, have a better OBP, not be quite so streaky. Um, You've pointed out, you know, a number of times on this podcast, the home runs, the stolen bases, the RBIs, that's all been great. But I think for the money, you're expecting a little bit more. The defense has been awesome. I mean, that's what I was going to say. So like you pointed out, before he got hurt, he was on pace for a 30-homer, 20-steal season. He was drawing walks at an 8% clip. That's real solid. You're right about the slash line, but the defense was otherworldly. I don't really have a problem with that. Everything else, like, he was producing. We wanted him to produce and play really good defense. That's what he was doing. I'm not really going to qualm about his average being a bit lower. Guy's first year uh, in Boston and in the AL East in general is always a really tough transition. I'm not really concerned yet. I think he's doing fine. Obviously, being hurt sucks, but he's also never had injury history. He's yeah. played 140-plus games in every single year that he's played. played all but one game in the shortened 2020 season. So, I mean, he's never had injury history until now, and he's been producing. No problem. One of the things that I find weird about Trevor Story's season is that, um, you know, one of the trends we've seen for from him since he debuted with Colorado in 2016 is we've seen his K rate drop every year, uh, pretty much. I mean, his first full season, it was 34.4%, went down to 25, kind of stayed right around that area, 26%. Then it dropped to 24%, 23% in 2021. And this year, it's shot all the way up to 30.7%. So do you think that you know, in the future here for the Red Sox, that Trevor Story is going to be able to get that key rate under control again? Yeah. 
Okay. I hope so. I hope so. But I would not say that that is overall a problem. All right, moving on to the next position here is shortstop Xander Bogarts. Uh, any issue with blame going uh, Bloom going into the season? Yeah, I almost called him Blame. Hi, I'm Blame. Um, <laughs> Bloom going into the season with uh, Xander Bogarts at shortstop. Nope. No, absolutely not. Uh, anybody who's being critical of Bogarts right now, uh, I think you should shut the hell up. And the reason why is because Bogarts is currently having perhaps his best season. Um, and I know that that seems a little crazy because, you know, the year that we always like to reference is his best year is 2019, where he had 33 home runs, 117 RBIs, batted over 300. Like, he was great. But this year, he's actually playing really good defense. His base running is the best it's been since 2017. Um, he's got 4.3 war on the season already. Uh, he ended last year at 4.4. So he could very well eclipse his best war season ever at age 29. And yes, he's got nine home runs and just 47 RBIs. That's not ideal. But in many respects, Bogarts is better than ever. Yeah. You hit it all. 100% agree. All right, Devers, we're going to skip that position because if anybody has a problem with Devers, <laughs> you don't watch baseball. Yeah. Um, all right, Alex Verdugo, uh, who is now the right fielder but spent most of the year in left field, so I'm going to uh, grade him out as a left fielder for the purposes of this. Uh, going into the season with Alex Verdugo as the left fielder, can you blame Bloom or can you blame Alex Verdugo for underproducing this year? Um, Verdugo. I agree with you. So Verdugo has gotten his average up to a decent level at this point because he's been playing pretty good baseball recently. He's hitting 272, but he had been pretty bad for long stretches of this year. And if you look at his slash line, He's still only got a 312 OBP. He's not walking nearly as much as he had the last couple of years. Um, and and the power is has definitely not come along like we sort of expected it would and like we kind of thought it would. We kind of expected a jump in that. And he's, he's on pace for 11 home runs right now. It's, it's not ideal for a guy who we got two war out of basically the last two seasons he's basically on pace for a little shy of two war here in his third season in Boston I was sort of expecting the jump from him do you think that that's still in there at all like what is wrong with what Verdugo is doing at this point what can you see that's going wrong with him I'm not sure um but I think what we saw the first month really kind of like that was like he's not prone to having those like hot streaks like that um that was like the jump forward we kind of all expected we could get across a full season and then all of a sudden he just hit a wall um but it was was like he hit hit a weird wall right because he was still hitting the ball super hard and he was having awful babbit luck and now he's kind of like turned some of that around so i still think that that potential is there um but the window is closing to reach it. 
So if he if he is going to reach it, we're probably looking at like next season to finally put it together for a full season. Um, that's kind of like the last opportunity there, or we're kind of like just we're looking at a consistent two war season over season guy. Um, it's not a bad player. So it's a decent player, but I think yeah. then our we're going to need to start adjusting our expectations to, um, you know, what we're going to get in you know year in year out from Verdugo, and um, I think we had a, a lot of really high expectations for him coming into the year, uh, and for a portion of the season he was meeting and or exceeding them, um, which either kind of confirmed it or gave people even more hope um, or raised people's expectations and then just kind of fell off the face of the earth for a really extended period of time, uh, which just added to the frustrations. So, yeah, I think that's on him. Yeah, I would agree that it's on him. I'm going to place like 75% of the blame on him and i'm not gonna place any blame on bloom for this one i'm gonna place 25 percent of the blame on just simply bad luck because looking at his stat cast data this year one of the things that's remained consistent with him is that he's drastically underperformed all of his expected stats so yeah you know right now 272 batting average 290 expected batting average 389 slugging percentage 441 expected slugging percentage his WOBA is 304. His ex-WOBA is 333. So in very many ways, he's actually been nearly as good as he was last year. That being said, he hasn't taken the jump forward and his barrel rate's down a little bit. I do still think that, you know, Verdugo is going to play all next year, 26, essentially. He just turned 26. I do think he's going to have one or two like four war seasons in there. I still think that's there, but I do think that that is something I was expecting to happen this season rather than in the future. Yeah. All right. Center field. This is a very interesting position because this was one where Kike Hernandez just played amazing uh, last year for this team. Um, You know, he's been hurt most of the year. When he hasn't been hurt, he's been drastically underperforming. He had his best year ever last year, 4.1 F4 season. uh, Produced offensively, had 20 home runs, 60 RBIs, batted 250, 110 WRC+. This year, 69 WRC+, uh, you know, in 51 games played. Uh, Can we blame Bloom? for thinking that he was going to sort of repeat what he did uh, in that huge career year? Or uh, do we place the blame on Kike? Player. Um, I mean, no, none. Because I, yeah, I don't think I put blame on anyone for that. I mean, I guess, I was, yeah, initially I was going to say player, but that, I mean, you can't really blame him for being injured. Um, so, yeah, none. I think what the plan was for center field was fine going into the season. So, yeah, I have no problem with that. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you here for okay. for just a minute. And one of the things we talked about uh, last year was his splits. 
um, when he was playing center field versus when he was playing second base. And he was like one of the better hitters in the league when he was playing um, center field. Um, I mean, uh, second base. But when he was playing center field, he was awful. So let me give you his career splits at those particular positions. As a second baseman, uh, he is hitting 272 with 27 home runs. And do, 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 he has a 115 uh, WRC+. Plus. Over his career as a center fielder, he has an 85 WRC+, plus with a 219 average. Much worse player offensively. Those splits were even more drastic in 2021, where he hit well over 300 uh, with a lot of power uh, at second base and was less than 100 WRC plus when he was playing center field. Do you think that Bloom should have realized that a little bit? And maybe, I don't know, instead of bringing in uh, Trevor Story to play second base, maybe play Kike at second base and bring in a real center fielder? No. I don't. So do you think it's just noise? Um, Because he's got... Those are the two positions he's played the most at. He has 217 games over his career at second base and 293 games over his career at center field. So those are like not small sample sizes. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I'd rather have, there weren't really great options for uh, outfield, because uh, we talked about that a lot, especially for center field, um, but the, uh, like, the infield options were for the free agent class, so you would have had to work a trade to bring in a center fielder, which, I mean, I guess you could have, but... Um, Going into this offseason, I wanted Trevor Story on the team way back in the beginning of, I mean, pretty much when the season ended and he was a free agent. Um, and we were going through like targets that we wanted on the, I, I told you Story was a guy that I wanted. Um, so I was pretty happy when I got him. So I'm happy with the way that that turned out. And I was fine. So Geek Hernandez had a really good year last year. And that was, I know that was, to your point, splitting time between the two positions. Um, so there's, though, there's some of those splits there. But um, I also think there's something to not moving a guy around and saying this is your role, this is where you're going to be, and having that freedom. Um, especially when he was with the Dodgers, he was all over the place. Um, he was playing a lot of center and second. But the Dodgers had a bunch of guys in the outfield that they were rotating around all the time. So um, he wasn't getting consistent time in the outfield. So, yeah, I think that some of the noise there between those two splits could have been leveled out a bit by giving him like a permanent role and saying, you know, this this is what you're going to do for us every day, um, and kind of taking some of the the questions out of what where he's going to go, where he's going to play, and those kind of things. So, I don't think, and then just coming off the year that he had last year, I don't know how you could have. Um, like he was obviously going to play, so he had to go somewhere and bring in Trevor Story, who was, um, 
especially when they signed him the best option available to bring in. Um, yeah, for, and a great defender in his own right at second base as well. Yeah, the best bat available when they brought him in. <clears throat> Unless they were going to make a move earlier, which, you know, you could say, knowing that a lockout was coming or whatever, you didn't really know what was going to happen, so they had to wait, whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm fine with the way that that worked out and going into the season with him in center field. What, um, So I guess where I was going to give or was giving some of the blame to the player um, was he had a, just an awful start to the season before he was finally put on the the DL or IL. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's on him because that was bad. That was atrocious. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think he can get bailed out by going on the IL for how bad he started the season. I agree with that. Um, and just to let you know, even though I played devil's advocate, I agree with you. I don't think there's any way you don't start the season with him uh, as your center fielder because he was pretty much the best center fielder in baseball defensively uh, last year. So I think it was a sound decision. I do think that there is something to these splits. I, I, I think it's clearly more taxing for him to play center field. But I think that it's worth it, and I don't think that the 339 average that he had at second base versus 213 at center field last year, I don't think it would have been that bad over the course of a full season. Like like you said, I think it would have evened out, and maybe it would have become a little bit more effortless for him at center field. So I, I think it was a sound decision by Bloom. I definitely do give him a little bit of the blame for the, the slow start, but I think that this one's like... 50% blame Kike for the slow start and 50% blame Kike uh, or 50% blame the injury, uh, which is just, you know, shit happens. It's baseball. So no real issues there. All right. Uh, right field. Well, get ready for some blame pie, Keaton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so after having uh, a wonderful 2021 season, from Hunter Renfro, Bloom decided to get real cute and uh, go ahead and trade Hunter Renfro at the peak of his value for two middling prospects who probably won't ever make a big league impact, and Jackie Bradley Jr., who was the worst hitter in all of baseball last year, and his plan was to go into the season, apparently, with Jackie Bradley Jr. as the everyday uh, right fielder. As we mentioned, Jackie Bradley Jr. now plays for the Blue Jays as a fourth outfielder. How much of the blame do you give Heim Bloom for this one? 100%. Can we go? Can we do the thing where you overestimated your blame pie last time when you came up with 110%? 110%. Okay, good. Because I think he deserves 110% <laughs> of the blame for going in. Like, this never made any sense. I remember talking to you and Matt and like everybody else at the site when this happened, we were just all like, okay, cool. This makes sense now that he's a fourth outfielder and we're going to go sign a right fielder. So I guess we're getting Seiya Suzuki and then crickets. Even before that, I was pissed that they traded Renfro. And you know this from our time at the Dynasty Guru. I've been a Hunter Renfro fan for years. And any chance I could get to talk about him on that podcast, I would. So I was delighted when the Red Sox signed him. Because then I could talk about him more. You thought you 
never had to talk about him again when we stopped doing that podcast. And, you know, joke's on you. We got to talk about him all the time because then he was playing for the Red Sox. So I was so excited. So he has the best year of his career and then gets traded. I was pissed just because he's one of my favorite players. (laughs) So I was furious. But you're right. Follow that up with, there's no way we're going into the season with JBJ as the everyday right fielder. That doesn't make any sort of sense. Fourth outfielder, perfect role for him. Makes all the sense in the world. This wasn't a situation where, like, with, like, at first base, where Dahlbach had, like, shown a spark for a couple months the season before to give you a little bit of hope that he could be something for some period of time in the coming season. The year before, Jackie Bradley Jr. was the worst hitter in the majors. And for a long time, you knew that offense was not his specialty. Defense was. And he really wasn't an everyday player. And fourth outfielder was his role. And you were like, hey, let's take a guy who we know exactly what his role is and not put him in that role. That's what we're going to do. That seems like a great plan. And lo and behold, it didn't work. How no. crazy is that? Yeah, it. Uh, this was the most egregious position uh, that Bloom went into the year with. Um, I agree. It was just beyond terrible. Um, this is the one that he should just get killed for over and over and over again. I don't understand it. It was incomplete. It was irresponsible. Um, To your point, though, when that move happened, it seemed like that had to be tied to another move. Right. And I don't know how you, you just, you basically don't follow through on that. Like if you have a, if you have a plan to, okay, we're going to move Renfro. We're going to get our fourth outfielder lock down the defense, and then we're going to get our bat first outfielder to fill that void, whether that's, say, a Suzuki or somebody else. You have to make that happen. If that was your plan, you can't not make that happen. Whatever you have to do to make that happen, you've got to do it. You can't not... If you have a two-piece plan, you've got to execute both pieces of it. You You can't just do one and be like, oh, well... You know, we tried to do the other piece of it, but it didn't quite work. Then don't do the first part. Right. If you can't do both, then don't do any of it. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, Catcher, probably not worth talking about because Christian Vasquez was the third or fourth best hitter on this team. Uh, when he was just traded, did you have any issue with them going into the season with uh, running back the tandem of Puecki and Vasquez? Nope. Me neither. I, I thought that was a sound decision. A really interesting one, though, is J.D. Martinez at, at DH. And this was something that we talked about a lot in the offseason, uh, especially because, you know, one of the guys we were trying to figure out where he might fit with this team was Kyle Schwarber. And... There was a lot of speculation that, well, it wasn't even really speculation. It was pretty much well known around baseball that they were going to uh, have the universal DH, which would, in in that you know way, open up the trade market for JD Martinez, um, you know, to move to any number of these 
uh, teams that now has a DH spot. And uh, the Red Sox, you know, maybe they didn't find the right fit for J.D. Martinez or whatever. They decided to to bring him back. Uh, he opted into his deal and they didn't trade him. Um, but I think that this is one where I would actually give some of the blame uh, to Heimblum for not being aggressive with bringing Schwarber back and not offloading uh, J.D. Martinez. And, and I'm still shocked that he's here after the deadline um, because, you know, I was looking at his numbers and we all know J.D. Martinez had a really bad 2020 season um, where he, he pretty much didn't hit well at all uh, over the course of the whole season. But, you know, he had X batting averages that season of, of uh, 233 versus fastballs, 229 versus breaking pitches, and 215 versus off-speed. Off okay, fine. You know, it's a, it's a short season, small sample size, weird stuff happened in 2020. We can write that off. He rebounded big time in 2021, 310 XBA against fastballs, 244 against breaking pitches, 303 against off-speed. Okay, still a pretty good player. Struggling a little with breaking pitches, but like you can live with that. This year, uh, things have gone a different direction. So his, his XBA versus fastballs is still strong, 325. He still hits the fastball. But against breaking pitches, 217. Off-speed pitches, 221. We've seen the massive struggles recently. He's actually struggled with the fastball recently during this slump that he's been in as well. Um, he's not been good. I think his decline has been sort of advertised in a lot of ways. Uh, and, it, you know, we I remember talking about this with, uh, with Matt and you uh, on the podcast before. This is something we've seen creeping in in different areas of his game, especially against different pitch types. Um, over the last few years, how much blame do you think we can give to Bloom for the fact that, you know, Kyle Schwarber's over here leading the National League in home runs. J.D. Martinez has like, what, nine home runs on the season this year uh, at the DH spot and you, you held on to the guy? I don't know if you can put a ton of blame on Bloom for that one. I mean, it was more on... J.D. Martinez opting in or out of his deal. Once he opted in, he was here. I don't know if he was really going to, if you were going to trade him once he opted in. Um, having one year left on his deal, I don't know why you would have, especially thinking that coming off of a team that was two wins away from the World Series, you think you're better, you have a better chance of putting a winning product on the field with him on the team. Um, to your point about Schwarber, though, if you're going to bring him back, I don't know why you wouldn't have and then put him at first and then um, had the, that tandem of J.D. Martinez at DH, Schwarber at first, and then once you got through this year with J.D. and J.D.'s gone, then move Schwarber to DH. Yeah, That would have made a lot of sense. I think you're ultimately right, and that's kind of what we wanted to do to give a little bit more insurance that super unsure first base position was, yeah, you're probably unlikely to get a package you wanted for JD Martinez. Um, so I agree with you. I don't put a lot of blame on bloom. I put some blame on JD Martinez for his skills slipping, but again, like I don't know how much to put on a 34 year old aging slugger that his skills are getting worse. Like, okay, what do we expect? They're not terrible. There's still like, there's still a fair amount of red on his, 
Baseball savant. Well, that's what page. I was gonna say. It's like his hard hit rate is still elite, right? And like his his um, exit velo and yeah, he's still hitting the shit out of the ball. Um, his strikeout rate and his walk rate is still like pretty much the same as it's been the last three years. Um, the no power thing is weird, and I wonder how much of that is affected with the ball, right? Because like power is down all over the place. Um, it, it's and then you just think of like how hot he was for you know the first half of the year. Uh, you, I mean, you pointed out he's been really really bad as of late. Um, but it's not like he still got a three forty five OBP even with how bad he's been. Yeah, over that extended period of time because he was so freaking good to start. Like I just I don't know. It's weird, but I, I don't blame Bloom for sticking with him for that last year, especially. I mean, it was really it was like a hundred percent on him. When it was, once he opted in, he was here. Um, well, you and, can still trade him at that point. Yeah, and you think you're going into the season with a chance to again compete and maybe like uh, you know be at the top of the American League here. You want him on the roster. You want him in the lineup every day. Yeah, and it's that, like so. you said, it's not like they couldn't have found a spot for Schwarber had they yeah. decided to bring him back. I mean, you can play him a little bit in the, in the outfield. You can play him, uh, you know, at first base, which was a black hole for so long. And he made perfect sense as the DH in the future for this team and the J.D. Yeah. Martinez replacement. And for a team that struggled with power, we already mentioned it, only 110 home runs. This year, uh, sure would have helped to have Kyle Schwarber and Hunter Renfro and all that power on this team. Yeah. Quite a bit. True. All right, let's get to the pitching side here. Um, let's start with relief. Uh, relief pitching has been abominable. We knew it was going to be abominable. It's been just as bad as we thought. Uh, how much blame do you put on Bloom for this one? 75, 25% players. Uh, Maybe 80-20. 80-20 bloom to players? Yeah. Okay, so Schreiber has done exactly what no one expected and been like the man. Yeah. Hauk has been fine. Whitlock has been fine. Who else can you really look at and say like, I thought you were going to be really good, but you've been really bad. Barnes? Barnes. Yeah. I think Barnes is the only guy. Because when we looked at the... Well, I, I think you could maybe criticize Matt Strom for not being quite as good as we thought he could be, but I think he's been fine. But like when we looked at the Deakman signing, I remember both of us being like, why are we getting another version of Matt Barnes? Yep. And he turned out to be just bad Matt Barnes. Yep. But left-handed. So, I don't know, man. I, f- I feel like your percentage is probably right, 80-20, for that one. But, like, this was, aside from right field, this was the by far the most obvious position that Bloom completely failed at upgrading this yep. past offseason. Um, starting pitcher. This is probably the most interesting one uh, to me. Um, because I think we all assumed that Chris Sale was going to be healthy coming into this season. Nathan Eovaldi was coming off an excellent year where he received some Cy Young votes. 
Um, we we did think it was weird that they signed uh, Rich Hill and Michael Waka, two guys who you know have had performance and injury issues over the last couple of years to to fill in that spot. But you know, to to the credit of of Heim Bloom, they had a lot of depth at the AAA level that they hadn't had before. Guys like Cutter Crawford, Josh Winkowski, um, you know. Brian Bayo emerging. They had James Paxton waiting in the wings. Um, Tanner Houck could start if you needed him to. Like there was sort of a lot of guys there. Connor Siebold, another one. Brandon Walter, like a lot of dudes. How did you feel about the pitching going into the year? And how much of this do you think ought to have been thought of by Bloom? I didn't feel great. But here's how I would serve up the blame pie for how we got where we are. 25% bloom. 25% players. 25% bad luck. 25% my poor expectations. Interesting. I'll tell you why. Okay. I was actually wrong about a lot. I didn't think Walker was going to be any good at all. Turns out he's very good. I didn't have any faith in Nick Pavetta. I think I was wrong. I know that he obviously has been, uh, he had just a god-awful month and a half, June, July. It's been a little bit better as of late. Um, But he's been healthy. He's been relatively consistent. Um, He should be your number five starter, and that's kind of what you can ask of your your 20, or your fifth starter. Um, I think... Uh, the moves that Bloom made, bringing in Rich Hill and Waka, were, for the most part, good. Um, they've been hammered by injuries, as you pointed out. Some of it should have been some foresight, like bringing in um, Rich Hill and Waka, who have had injury history. Yep. Um, but some of it, not so much, um, like all of the other injuries. <laughs> That's not kind of things that you could have anticipated or kind of planned for. And I think the majority of the injuries that they had are not ones that they uh, really could have anticipated or expected. Um, some of the performances of the pitchers have been pretty bad. And um, like the stretch from Pavetta um, after being really good. Um, but the depth has been very surprising. Wasn't really expecting to get much out of the depth, even though they had it. Uh, and to have Winkowski and Carter Crawford doing what they're doing, they've exceeded my expectations. I didn't think we could really rely on them at all. Um, so I think I was wrong about a lot of the starting pitching. And I think when we were doing our priorities, I think relief pitching was my top priority. Yep. And starting pitching, I think, was my second. And like first and right were behind both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, hindsight, I don't think I needed to be as concerned with the starting pitching. I think our relief pitching is still absolutely number one. Um, but the right field and first base, I think, because they actually have pitching covered for the most part besides the freak injuries. Yeah, I agree. I was not really super concerned with the starting pitching, and I actually think Bloom did fine on this. I would probably give Bloom... 15% of the blame and I'm going to give like 50% to the players. Cause I think a lot of guys have underperformed 
um and you know the rest of the the blame pie I just give to to injuries like pitching injuries happen I fully expected Chris Sale to be fully healthy and pitch a full season this year. I fully expected that Nathan Eovaldi had figured out his body and, you know, was going to be a horse again. Um, I expected Pavetta to be a fine fifth starter. He's been asked to be a two starter a lot of the year. And I thought like Waka and Hill, I was like, all right, I don't love this, but between the two of them, you're probably going to get like one spot figured out um for the year so like that's okay and you know you'll figure out the rest um so yeah i i actually i don't think that that is a huge concern it's just been really really freaking unlucky this year yep i agree okay well that was fun so just to sum it up uh we're blaming kike Verdugo and sort of Trevor Story, right? I'm kind not. of. Well, not really. We're we're not really blaming Trevor Story, um, and we're putting a crap ton of blame on Bloom for right field, first base, in the bullpen. Does that sum it up? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Let's get to listener questions. Our first question comes from Shelly First Rate, Verse Rate. And uh, she says, Brody Jackson has a dream job, referencing one of the players in the uh, Little League World Series. His dream job is a chicken nugget taster. Keaton, what would be your dream job? That was a fire emoji dream job. Doesn't look like the fire emoji copied over from the tweet. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. But that's... Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about this, and I kept coming back to just, like, something hanging out on the ocean or near the ocean, eating a lot of oysters and just relaxing. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Oyster eater? Oyster taster? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about tester, because that I don't, I'd like them to be, like, well-prepared. <laughs> Like zero you know, risk. Any, yeah, are any risky <laughs> yeah. oysters? Yeah. That's a pretty good one. Uh, I was thinking about this for a while, and I asked my wife independently, too, like what she thought my dream job would be. And we both independently came up with my ideal dream job would to be like a tenured history professor at some college, which would also give me the ability to like travel and do research for a long period of time uh which would be awesome because i'm just a, a regular like middle school history teacher but it would be amazing to like be able to travel and do research and not have to work as much as a regular teacher has to work so that would be sweet and steal the declaration of independence uh yeah it sounds like a pretty good movie we should uh we should make that <laughs> uh our fearless leader dan secatore or i don't know if i'm saying that correctly dan secatore you'll have to tell me dan uh but he is our our new uh editor in chief here at uh over the monster he says when will brian join slack i'm gonna say 10 days 
So I think I have the perfect answer to this one. And he's referencing Brian Joyner for, for all the listeners out there. So our Slack channel, which uh, Keaton so graciously created, uh, Brian hasn't joined yet. And I think that if you tell Brian not to join the Slack channel, he will immediately <laughs> join the Slack channel. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to wait 10 days and do that. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Next one uh, comes from House of Kuzu, and he has two. He says, uh, first one here, uh, people think this can only happen in the NBA, but what if Xander walks and Devers demands a trade? The disrespecting offers to him and Xander plus the horrible trade deadlines on back-to-back seasons would be enough reasons. Would that get Heim fired? So let's address the first one first. Do you think there's any chance... Devers demands a trade if Xander is gone. Um, no, but not that um, it's out of the realm of possibility for baseball. I think it happens not infrequently, but uh, if memory serves, didn't um, Stanton request a trade? I don't remember. Um, that does sound familiar, though. Yeah, I think it definitely happens, win. but it doesn't happen when you have one year left. So especially with so the thing with baseball is the players can demand a trade all they want with the team control thing. It's, they have zero power. Um, but him being in the last year of his contract, he can tell them, hey, guys, I'm not resigning. Right. And then the, there's no point in the Red Sox letting him walk at the end of the year and not getting anything for him. So there's. More incentive for the Red Sox to trade him by him saying, yeah, I'm not going to resign with you guys. So that's kind of really the form of how that happens in baseball. Yeah. Of how guys demand trades is them just basically telling the team that they're on, I'm not resigning with you. <laughs> so that's right. kind of how it happens. Like, uh, and yeah, I could imagine Dever saying that. And I disagree with you on Mookie, but then we've been over that a million times. But <laughs> I could see Dever just saying that, being like, yeah, you know, for you know the six years I've been here, I saw what happened to Mookie. I just saw what you did with Devers. You're, you haven't really shown me that the team is moving in the, in any kind of direction. I don't feel like this is a place for me. And then they make a move. Well, let me reframe this then. If uh, we get to the 2024 season and Xander and Devers are both playing on other teams – Time Bloom still here. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of other factors. I mean, who has replaced them? I don't know. If man. nobody has replaced them, no, he's not. If he has made two large signings and or trades to replace them? Yes. I don't think there's any chance Bloom is here if both of those guys are gone. I'm going to say 0% chance that Bloom is here if those two are not. I think you need to have at least Devers for Bloom to keep his job. Really? Because if not Devers, then who? Who the hell are you giving money to if you're not giving money to Devers? Juan Soto. Yeah, and he plays for a different team. Right now, sure. But you said 2024. 2024, yeah, Juan Soto could be a free agent. Is, no, he's not going to be a free agent yet. 
He's got two years left. So he's he got this year this and another year, year. He's got 2023 and 2024. He's free agent 2024 off season. He's a year after Devers. So the uh, Padres will trade him in 2024. So they could still get him in 2024. Wishful thinking, Keaton. All right. He does have a follow-up, though. He says, Devers wouldn't bring you top value because he would be in the last season of his contract. And you can't let him walk for free. And Bloom is 0 for 1 in those type of trades, referencing uh, the bets trade. So, yeah, to your point, I mean, you you definitely would not get good value for one year of Devers. In fairness to Bloom, that's not just a Bloom thing. Everybody is over in those trades. Yeah. Um, that's the whole point of why you don't trade talented players in baseball. You pay them to keep them because it's really freaking hard to find talented baseball players so when you do you don't want to let them go that's the whole point for the outrage um baseball america makes sense yeah well baseball america did um a helpful analysis here as we approach the trade deadline um it was july 25th they released it um doing analysis of the last 30 years trades in major league baseball where um their criteria was a player who uh within two years of being traded had finished in the top 10 of the uh major league or like mvp voting for their league uh in both years or top three in the year before they were traded there were 17 such instances in the last 30 years in 13 of those 17, the team that traded away that player came out significantly worse in the trade. And the four where they didn't, it was like sort of close-ish, uh, but it still wasn't great. So the moral of the story is when you have a really talented player, don't trade them. Keep them on your team. So that's where all of this outrage and shit comes from or on the flip side if somebody is trading a superstar player the hit rate on prospects is so low give them whatever prospects they are asking for and take the sure thing because you will come out far far ahead of whatever uh you know top what are one percent outcome you think you're getting by retaining those prospects preach preach keaton I agree. So I agree. while Bloom it. is while Bloom is zero for one, it's it's not really a Bloom thing. Whoever it was that was going to trade, that's was going to lose that trade, and whoever it is that trades the next superstar is going to lose that trade because you just don't win those trades ever. Yeah, and Betts is having a very good season this year. He sure is. All right, next one comes from Hendrick, and he says, "Why do any of us even bother?" Well, if we didn't, what else would we do? We'd be dead. The surfing guy has our next question. He says, can we officially stick a fork in him now? The Red Sox. I'm gonna. Yeah, feels like it. I'm calling it, man. I don't think there's any chance this team makes the playoffs. 
what if Enrique comes back, returns to form, uh, Story comes back, and doesn't even need to return to form because this is what he was before he was hurt. Uh, Paxton is the savior that the starting rotation needed. Uh, they start using the bullpen how like a bullpen should be used. Is there enough time to turn the tanker? No. Yeah, I don't think so. They have to play outrageously good baseball against the AL East and everybody outside of the AL East from here on out to get even close. And they got some I duds just coming up. Though. Don't see it. Yeah, but they're they are a dud. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. <laughs> All right, our last two questions come from Patio D. He says, in keeping with the negativity of 2022, it's almost like he just read our minds before we answered that last question. Uh, what Red Sox season were you most disappointed with that was not 2011? So 2011 was the chicken and beer season. Keaton, what was your answer for this one? 2012. The Bobby V year, huh? Yeah, that was real disappointing. Uh, the team was still loaded with talent. Um, the He was supposed to wipe away the sting of 2011 and instead made it so much worse. So, so, so much worse. Uh, everything about that year was miserable. Yeah, that wasn't a good year. Um, that was a really bad year. For me, it was the 2019 season uh, coming off the World Series. Uh, I was doing the Locked on Red Sox podcast with Matt Collins every single day. Um, and, uh, you know, overanalyzing everything that happened with this team. Um, according to Baseball Reference, that season, Rafael Devers, 5.4 war. Eduardo Rodriguez, 5.5 war. Xander Bogart, 6.3 war. Mookie Betts, who was still on the team, 7.3 war. They had a really freaking good team, and they won 84 games. Woof. That was just a really disappointing third-place finish for me. So I, uh, I always felt like that team should have been way the hell better than they were. All right, and his last question says, on a more positive note, we're going to end the show on a positive note here. Which Sox player have you enjoyed watching most this season? Devers. Uh, in the non-Devers division, probably Schreiber. Okay. Two good ones. I'm going to go with Xander. Not a shock to anybody, but I've been really trying to sort of soak in uh, this potential last season of uh, Bogarts. Um, I I love him so much, and his defense and leadership and base running and consistency is just awesome. So I've been just really loving watching Xander, and uh, I hope he does have his best ever season this year uh by war so that would be pretty pretty cool way if it's gonna end here for it to end and i hope it's not the end what about in the the non-devers slash bogey division Mm. um hmm 
hasn't been a lot of great stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say Vasquez before he was traded. Um, I don't know. I just, I really, I've been very attached to Vasquez because of sort of, you know, his humble beginnings with this franchise being a ninth round pick and, you know, being the third catcher in that draft and him becoming a really good major leaguer. Um, you know, I really, really liked the fact that he hit so well and was so good with the pitching staff and, you know, he's going to be missed for me. Yeah. Good one. All right. Well, that is the show tonight. We appreciate you joining us again for another episode of this show. Um, And hopefully Red Sox can start winning some games here uh, and stop breaking limbs and knees and backs and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to some, some good stuff happening in the future. We'll see. Thanks for joining me, Keaton. We'll be with you again next week. Follow Keaton on Twitter at the Spoken Keats. Follow me on Twitter at Jake. Follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. And we'll be with you again next week. 